This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Lots of people are talking about a new Gillette ad that challenges men to be better, both to women and to each other. But what you hear about the ad depends on who you're talking to. Some men feel threatened by the message, maybe even triggered. Meanwhile, a lot of women and other men say, what's wrong with pushing men to be better men? Is that really divisive? I found the commercial pretty innocuous, and it's just an ad. But now there are calls for boycotts of the popular razor maker and a mounting backlash. We're going to spend the rest of the hour talking about what's going on here. What role should major corporations be playing in our conversations around gender and politics? And are ads the proper way for us to process our thinking about culture and gender and politics. Also, uh, is this just an ad? Is this just the way that uh, a company has decided to market itself and brand itself? And should we be making uh, an appropriately little uh, stink about something like this? As always, we want to hear from you uh, on the phones about this. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. 1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. And let's start the conversation, though, by listening to a clip of this ad. We believe in the best in men. Men need to hold other men accountable. Smile, sweetie. Come on. To say the right thing, to act the right way. Bro, not cool, not cool. Some already are. In ways big and small. I am strong. But some is not enough. It's not how we treat each other, okay? Okay. Because the boys watching today will be the men of tomorrow. Okay, that is how Gillette is choosing to enter the conversation about male behavior and how men ought to treat each other and women. And joining us now to talk more about this ad and its place in that conversation is Lee Wilkins. She is the Emeritus Professor of Communications here at Wayne State University. Lee, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. Yes, it's great to hear from you. Uh, let's, let's start with your reaction to this ad. My reaction to this ad is it's really an ad that's in a tradition and a kind of advertising that, to my knowledge, goes back to the 1980s when United Colors of Benetton used images of death row and of uh, executions uh, as part of an ad campaign for that product. Um, It, too, created a huge furor. uh, But in the advertising business, one of the things we say is it cuts through the clutter uh, it is so unexpected, so not what you're looking for, that in fact you might pay attention to it. And that, after all, is one goal of advertising. Yeah, um, uh, there's no question. They have got people's attention with this ad, uh, which, of course, is one of the goals. But there's no question also that this ad is, or at least on its face, seems to be seeking something more. It seems to be seeking uh, a change and to influence that change. Uh, Talk about the message here. 
though the message, as I understand it from Procter and Gamble, is it wants to sort of change the conversation around what has been labeled toxic masculinity. Um, that's a label that I don't particularly like because it feels a little bit smushy to me. I think, you know, one person's toxic might not be something else. But one way that I sort of looked at the ad was if you change the word man in the ad to people, you know, do we want people to step in when there are bullying? Do we want people to speak properly about others? You know, all of that. That's the place where I'm going, okay, what this is basically saying is just be a good person. Male, female doesn't really make all that much difference. Yes, it's pointed at men, but men, I think, are the folks who usually buy razors and use them. So in some sense, it's, you know, it's speaking to that, it's speaking to that market. Uh, you know, but in terms of in terms of what it's saying, um, I think you know if you just substitute a word or two, you get the sense of oh, this is just really calling out for um, to quote Abraham Lincoln to our better angels, mm-hmm. and that's not gendered. I I wonder what you also make of the controversy here. I have seen an awful lot on social media, in particular, uh, that that suggests that some people were really offended by the message in this ad. Uh, Some men felt as though it was painting all men uh, as bad actors and saying we all have to clean up our our act. Uh, You know, this idea that somehow it was an attack on men is something that I'm picking up. Uh, where, do, where does that come from? I'm not sure where that comes from, except that, again, this is part of this long tradition. So in 1995, Nike um, produced an ad that's become really famous called If You Let Me Play, which used um, young girls, girls under the ages of about 10 or 11, to say things like, if you let me play sports, I'll be less likely to get breast cancer. I'll be more likely to leave a man who beats me. I will be more likely to finish my education. And Nike got an enormous amount of pushback on that ad, in part because people thought maybe these girls were too young to be talking about these topics, but also because I think it, it, sort, of, it sort of narrowed in on a place in our culture that we're really sensitive about. And one of the things about advertising is advertising works best when it picks up cultural references. And in this case, what Procter & Gamble is trying to do is to just pick up some cultural references that I think in many ways are changing. Um, your previous guest talked a lot about that in a news sense and, and in sense of what is happening at Michigan State and just sort of reminded us, hey, you know, the things that we may have done and may have accepted 20 years ago, it's not okay anymore. And if people feel threatened by that, I, my, my sense would be, okay, that's a little bit on you, <laughs> but you also need to think about why it is. And certainly it's, incur- it's happening in this larger context. Yeah. You know, I also wonder whether there are real risks for corporations when they approach advertising this way, uh, whether uh, you risk a significant backlash that, that has the opposite effect of what you, what, what you intended f- with the ad. And I, I, I'm wondering if there are examples of that. Has anyone ever 
stepped in the wrong direction and really paid for it with this kind of advertising. Oh, yes. There are people who have stepped in the wrong direction, usually because they did something kind of dumb instead of something kind of smart. Um, but to go back to the, the, the these times that I referenced previously, um, the Nike, if you let me play ad, Nike sales went up. Uh, and the kind of Nike sales, and especially for shoes for women, went up. Um, my understanding from what I've been able to read is that Nike ad featuring Colin Kaepernick, that hasn't done anything to negative to Nike sales. Hmm. Um, so th- I know that there's some statements on the Internet that you know people are going to change the brand and do this, that, and the other thing. In today's marketplace, there would be some of that to be expected. We won't know as consumers or as scholars whether or not this ad has had a, a bad impact on um, Gillette sales probably for six months to a year. But based on, you know, the history as I understand it for some of these sort of social justice kinds of ads, usually they don't hurt sales as much as people would like you to believe. Hmm. Uh, again, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. Uh, call and tell us what you thought of Gillette's ad about men and male behavior. Let's start with Rob in Troy. Rob, what's on your mind? Hey, good morning, Stephen. Uh, good morning uh, to your guest. Um, I'm an advertising creative director. I've been working in the city for a long, long time. And uh, my experience uh, with you know kind of cause ads like this is that they usually start with a, a really good intention on the part of the creative people. And uh, then they become a bandwagon issue that uh, people take up. And before you know it, you've got a, you know, a production company that's taking it on and everybody starts saying, hey, let's, let's add this and let's do more of this. And before you know it, the, you kind of overproduce the, the ad and the message gets lost and it starts looking slick and people knock it because it's slick execution as opposed to kind of the, you know, the, the cause behind it that's being mm-hmm. celebrated. And my, you know, if I had been charged with that, I would have counseled to say, hey, let's, let's do something very simple, keep the, keep the message powerful, uh, but simple. Uh, the, you know, you, you referenced the Nike, uh, if you let me play, ads, perfect example. So, so you now, thought you thought this ad was too complicated, or too complex, or there was too much going on? Too complicated, too much going on. Um, it, it, and you know, things start to feel false. You know, there's there's moments in the ad where you can just tell it's like, yeah, okay. Uh, you know, they directed the actors to do this, and <laughs> it's not heartfelt. It doesn't feel as heartfelt as the as it needs to be. And I know it's not where they started, but that's kind of. These things often end up, it's unfortunate because it obscures the message. Huh. Rob, I really appreciate the call and, and your perspective on this. Uh, Lee Wilkins, is this too polished and uh, does that hurt its authenticity in terms of the message? I think, so your your guest, Rob, thank you very much. Um, he's got the expertise in this part of the field that I do not. <laughs> I suspect whether or not it's too polished is a little bit in the eye of the beholder. Um, I think, but I think that his main point, which is keep the message simple, don't try to do too much, that's a goal of all advertising. And the ads that work tend to do that phenomenally uh, phenomenally well. Um, would this ad have been a little better if there had been a few fewer edits, a few fewer scenes? Um, I don't know. Again, again, it'll all it'll all sort of wash out, and I'm sure that professionals will, would come down in multiple uh, in multiple places about that. Yeah, yeah. 
again, uh, Rob, thanks very much for the call uh, and your perspective. Ingo on Facebook says, nothing wrong with the commercial. If you feel offended, maybe it's because you're a misogynistic bully. Uh, Jessica on Facebook says, I think the backlash everyone is talking about is really a small handful of thin-skinned loudmouths who know that they are the types of people embodying the traits of toxic masculinity. Aaron on Facebook says they use child labor. Brands are not your friends, and they certainly aren't guardians of morality. Again, uh, you can go to the WDET Facebook page or to Twitter to join the conversation. Let's get back to the phones here. Uh, Jim in Waterford, you're up next. What's on your mind, Jim? Yeah, um, I I like the... Uh, part of this um your guest said that uh, this could be a more of a you know non-gendered thing we could just say everybody should be more friendly but the point of the piece is that um everybody who's done all these things um weinstein all these people there were a ton of people around them that knew what was going on that understood that were covering up for them but they weren't doing it so they could tell themselves well i'm not that but the whole point of this ad, and I think it's a very important message, is that men have to make sure that other men are staying in line, too. Hmm. We can't just stand there and let stuff happen. And that's how things happen, because they know people are going to let it happen. Not women that are going to see that and let it happen. It's going to be men that are going to see that and let it happen. And most of the co- comments I've seen that are negative on this issue from, uh, have been from the religious right. And they're forgiving the guy who's done all this stuff and more. So... It, the whole point of the people that are against this ad, most of them are against this issue, and they just, they're not on the right side of the issue, and I think this company is. So yeah. I'm happy they're doing it. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jim, that's a really great perspective. Uh, Lee, does that make you reconsider the, the, the gendered nature of uh, the message here? Well, it does to a certain extent, but it also makes me consider the message. Um, so, Stephen, you and I have known each other for uh, for a few years, so you know I'm married, and I will have to say that this ad does not describes the behavior of my husband, the fourth grade elementary school teacher, <laughs> who does the right thing all the time, whether mm-hmm. or not anybody is looking. So, one of the things about advertising is because it's it's quick. Although this ad, at least the version of it that I've seen, is 48 seconds long, and that's a long time for it an is. ad. It is. Um, uh, is 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 that there are men out there who do the right thing day after day after day and who say the right thing and who act the right way. And you can put air quotes around right or not. I hope most listeners understand what I'm driving at. And so I think as much as it is pointed at, you know, folks do the right thing, I also like to see it a little bit as it socially reinforces those people who already behave in those ways. And again, I want to come back to what your your caller said, you know, yes, part of the problem is men. Yes, part of the problem is women. Whoops, we've got both genders here. So it's not as gendered as we might like to think. Keeping in mind, it's a razor ad. It's it's targeted at people who shave their faces. Most of those folks, in my experience, are men. Mm. (laughs) Thanks again, Jim, for the call and the comments. Uh, Andrew on Facebook uh, says, anybody want to talk about how Gillette charges more for razors branded for women, even though the razors are exactly the same as the razors branded for men? Uh, Alex in Royal Oak uh, has the same thoughts. Alex, uh, go ahead. (laughs) Are you there, Alex? Yeah. Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I agree with the commenter on on Facebook. I I think that, you know, there's really something to be said for 
we don't need to pick at the value of an ad that tells people to treat other people with respect. I think that that's something that we all sometimes need a reminder of. But if you look at that company, you know, they're, they're using this social justice appropriation to, to sell a product, which sometimes just feels gross. Um, <laughs> and, and I think that, you know, coming from a company that you know, was, was dumping razor blades in the harbor during the Boston Big Dig and is, you know, one, one caller described that they're, they're using child labor to build these products. You know, I, I, it makes you wonder with the prices of their razor still being twice as much for women and them adhering to, you know, the, that pink tax, what are they actually doing? Or is this just something, is this just a message that is, is very powerful that they're using to sell their product? Right. Uh, Alex, uh, thanks very much for the call. Uh, Lee Wilkins, uh, th- this idea of corporate behavior matching corporate messaging uh, I think also raises the question of whether uh, corporate advertising or messaging like this is intended to maybe rescue a company that might be in trouble. And there was a story uh, in the Washington Post uh, last year about the razor business and how much more competitive it has gotten. Uh, the fact that uh, their share, Gillette, their share of the razor market has dropped from 70% in 2010 to 54% in 2016. Uh, I think if you put that together with uh, this, these other corporate things, I mean, uh, th- these raise questions about the intent uh, and, again, the authenticity of these, of these messages from corporations. I think that people need to remember this is an ad. It is designed to sell stuff. It is effective to the extent that it sells stuff. Uh, and the same kind of criticism was leveled at Nike when it did the If You Let Me Play ad. You know, look at all the other things that we might look at about how Nike does business, where Nike does business, and, and criticize, you know, that, that sort of corporate behavior. And I think the same is, the same is true, the same is true for Procter and Gamble and for this. I mean, P&G has had its, its share of bumps and lumps in the last, in the last two or three years to be sure. On the other hand, um, there, there, because uh, we have an ad-saturated culture, um, one of the things I, I do when I teach is I ask the students in my class, how many of you are wearing an advertisement? And first off, they sort of look at me like I'm nuts, and then I say, well, there's a Nike swoosh, and there's this, and there's that. And, and what we realize is that advertising in this country is ubiquitous. And so what is happening here is they're trying to change the conversation, which may or may not reflect a deeper change in their corporate behavior. But the ultimate goal is to get us to notice so we will think about buying a product or it will reinforce a buying decision that we have already made and have perhaps been making for decades. Hmm. Uh, Let's uh, quickly go to James in Pontiac. James. Welcome to Detroit Today. James? Hi. Yeah, Thanks. go ahead. Yeah, I'm here. So um, earlier, the guest referenced uh, the Colin Kaepernick uh, Nike ad. I'd just like to understand um, sort of the portrayal of black men in media and marketing with respect to now predominantly um, fairness for white women. If you look at gender equality in terms of pay, black women, black men make the same as white women, about 71% compared to white men. Can you talk about that? Hmm. Uh, Lee? Uh... Um, <laughs> yes and no. I can't talk about the pay um, too much because I'm not very well informed on that, and I apologize. But there have been a, n- a number, at least a half a dozen, of really terrific books 
that sort of chronicle, if you will, the image of people of color, and most of them have focused on African Americans, in advertising. So I'm going to say something on the air, and I want people to understand that I'm saying it because it's referenced in the scholarly literature. But it starts with, for example, for African-American women, the portrayal of Aunt Jemima as a symbol of somebody who sold us pancakes. Um, So there's a very long history here of using what I think many of us would describe as really ugly racial stereotypes as a shorthand way of trying to convey something about a product. And I think as we've moved along and hopefully gotten a little smarter about this, we're losing some of that shorthand, and we're trying to lose the stereotypes. And I would argue that in terms of the advertising industry, on the one hand, but in terms of me as a consumer who gets to consume these messages, losing those stereotypes is is a really good thing. We can't make them lose something like pay equity. Um, that's probably something that, that advertising is not going to take on, at least until it enters the political arena. But in terms of products, we can, we can say, no, we're going to stop using these stereotypical ways of dealing with issues and, and, and find new stereotypes or new messages or stereotypes that are more um, coherent with the reality that we all currently live. You know, I I think that that's a wonderful recitation of the history here, and I think if you think about the Colin Kaepernick ad, for instance, and sort of strip away the the, the context of it being an ad from Nike uh, and and the history there, just the imagery and the power of support for an African-American male struck me as a real turning point in terms of uh, advertising and color, right? Uh, this, the, the, the idea that you would have that kind of imagery uh, in an ad uh, around a, a pretty controversial African-American male. I mean, somebody who's taking uh, a, very, a very strong stand uh, that, that a lot of people uh, have reacted negatively to uh, it just it it really did it really did blow me away and I think that there are a lot of people, Stephen, who reacted like that. I also want to emphasize Nike as a corporation is not stupid. Um, the last time I looked, um, people of color buy sneakers just as much as Caucasians <laughs> do. Um, so and 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 that segment of the market is is if you believe what what we read is growing. And so there are, there are things here that that ad serves multiple ends. One of them is a social justice end, but I would certainly argue that it's also serving a Nike sales end. Mm-hmm. And if people are uncomfortable with social justice being used to sell product, then that's almost a different discussion than the one that we're having now. Okay, Lee Wilkins, Emeritus Professor of Communications here at Wayne State. Thanks very much for being here for this conversation on Detroit Today. All right, up next, we're going to continue our conversation. We want to continue to hear from you. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Next, we're going to talk with a staff writer at The Atlantic and author of a recent piece about how millennials see these kinds of advertisements. Stay with us on Detroit Today.
This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. We are talking about the new ad from Gillette that talks about men and male behavior, urges men to be better, better to women and better to each other. Some people have reacted pretty negatively to this ad, saying... That it's offensive, that it paints all men as bad actors. Other people seem to think it's a pretty positive message to send, that we could just treat each other better and things will go better in this country. Uh, We want to hear from you about what you think about the ad. Uh, Are you somebody who's reacting positively or negatively to it? Why? Uh, Are you just looking at it as as an ad and not an important cultural statement? Are you skeptical of the idea of corporations participating in conversations about culture and politics in this country. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, We want to hear from men on this issue and how they are reacting to the ad, but we also want to hear from women. What did you think of what Gillette is trying to say to men? Is this an effective way to change behavior that we find offensive or difficult to deal with? Again, 313-577-1019 is that number. Uh, and welcoming, I want to welcome now to the conversation uh, Amanda Mull. She is a staff writer at The Atlantic, and she wrote a recent piece titled Millennials Stare into the Void and Gillette stares back. Amanda, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Good morning. Yeah. Uh, I want to start with a quick excerpt from your piece. Uh, You say, perhaps because people love any prompt to argue on the internet, many progressives responded with support for Gillette's message, even if it was sometimes tinged with skepticism uh, and a viral ad was born. Gillette may not have anticipated exactly this magnitude of reaction, but in stepping into what many millennials see as a leadership void left by ineffective government and cultural leaders, it's become the latest example of exactly what many marketers think brands have to do to communicate with the next generation of shoppers. Talk about this leadership void and the larger issues you think the controversy over this ad embodies. Um, well, I think that, that culturally and politically in America right now, we're we're in uh, we're in a state of flux. Um, things are things are changing politically. Things are things are changing um, with uh, social culture, with cultural norms, uh, with uh, you know ideas about gender and race. Um, people's people's uh, view of our government is, is rapidly changing and a lot of I, I think a lot of people would say worsening um, people are becoming disillusioned with the ability of you know our government officials in both parties to lead um, so I think that, that what you have here is sort of like I like I mentioned in the article sort of a void of uh, of strong cultural voices strong political voices um, and I, th- I think that that has to do to some degree with the, the extent to which uh, businesses and corporate concerns have a stranglehold on, um, on cultural agenda setting. 
Um, so with, with the really prominent place that uh, consumer life plays in American life right now, I think, uh, you know, younger shoppers especially, and millennials are, uh, I think the definition of millennial is, is a little bit fungible for a lot of people, but it, it's really consumers up to like 35, 38 years old. Hmm. Uh, so you have a lot, of, a lot of young adults and a lot of uh, new parents, and then also a lot of younger consumers, teenagers, college students. Uh, people in that age, age range uh, who, that are sort of looking around for to you know find something that is inspiring or something that that, that models their beliefs, and they don't have a lot of places to find that. I think, and I, I think that that's perhaps changing. Um, uh, I think that there are new political leaders emerging, but in the meantime, um, I think that a lot of brands have sensed this sort of sort of look for meaning hmm. among younger people and are sort of opportunistically maybe uh, stepping into that role or that, that they they can play in people's lives as sort of um, uh, something positive that that people can feel good about aligning themselves with and and is that okay is that okay to, to look for moral leadership at, you know in a corporation and its message? Uh, or is there something rubbish about that? I mean, is it is it even possible for a company like Gillette to be genuine in the way it uh, communicates something like this? I think the people at Gillette can be genuine. I don't think corporate messaging in the in this in this way can be genuine. And I think that I think I don't think it's necessarily rubbish. I think millennials and people younger know that they're in a bad position. Where I think I think they understand that their their options are bad. The cultural leadership options at this point are are leave something to be desired, um, but I but I think that you know on a day to day basis, if you have to if you have to make a choice about what razor to buy or what sneakers to buy, you know you they're looking for some indication that that the choice they're making is the correct one, and I think that there's some irritation with advertising like this because it, it does ring as opportunistic. Um, but what other what other choice do people have? Right, right. What else is out there, right? What else is out there? Yeah, and I think that this reflects sort of there's there's a lot of there's a lot of statistics uh, right there out there right now about how younger people are sort of uh, disillusioned with capitalism in general. And so I, what I think this is really um, the millennials and younger younger consumers don't like the set of options they have uh, and they want it to be different. So I think what, what brands are really doing through this is trying to rebrand capitalism, trying to rebrand these consumer choices that millennials don't really like having as something that can be uh, meet a meaningful politics. Um, I don't, I don't know that, uh, that, that that will be effective because I, I think younger, younger consumers are smart uh, and I think they understand the stakes that are at play now and especially have, have come to understand them better over the past several years. Hmm. Um, which is, I think, where some of that skepticism comes from. Um, so I, I think that I think that people understand they've been dealt a bad a bad hand, um, <laughs> and are trying to make the best out of it. Uh, and I I think that the brands, to a certain extent, are trying to get ahead of, of the the conversation that may be coming for them about what their what their role in in social culture in America really is, and, and whether or not they're they're good for us. <laughs> Uh, Sean on Twitter says to those grousing about a corporation taking stands on social issues, Citizens United ruling protects them under the First Amendment, allowing them to influence our elections. Prioritize 
your outrage. Uh, let's go back to the phones here. Dr. C in Carlton. Dr. C, welcome to Detroit Today. Um, I believe that uh, one of the things that's happening that uh, companies are realizing they also have to be a good neighbor. Okay, I'm also, you know, which you already know, Steve, Stephen, that I'm a minister and I'm a, I'm a pastor and doctor of theology and also I have a master's degree in psychology. But here's the thing um, that commercial is addressing what's going on sociologically in our society. And also what's happening because, let's be real, because of the Me Too movement and because what we went through with the, um, and I'm a conservative, by the way, uh, went through with the, uh, the Supreme Court thing situation with Kavanaugh. I think that men, we need to be, men need to be strong men, yes, but also we need to be, uh, you know, sensitive to what we say and how we treat people, too. And, 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 and so I think it's very balanced and I think it's very good for society. One more thing, the Coca-Cola commercial, you remember that? Mm. Um, which which uh, one? The, the one where they join hands around the world, <laughs> right. living in harmony. You remember that? Yeah, I do. That was, that was a message that was advertising, getting a message across to buy Coca-Cola, but also was speaking sociologically to our society. Sure, it to was. To be in harmony. Yeah, and if you think about that, I mean, that's almost two generations ago. Uh, Coke uh, uh, tried to do that same kind of thing that we're seeing Gillette to do now. It was, I think, received really differently uh, by, again, a different generation, which is the point that uh, our guest is is making. Dr. C, I really appreciate the call and the thoughts. Uh, let's go to my, Matt in Waterford. Matt, welcome to Detroit today. Thank you, Stephen. Hey, how are you? Uh, my, uh, my point uh, that I that I catch, I think it's a great ad as far as effectiveness goes, and boy, the agency that uh, is doing this for Gillette should be mentioned because everyone's talking about it. It is, it is a grand slam advertising-wise. But um, I think that the ad is highly non-political, and I look on the social medias, and everyone's trying to assign the social masculinity as conservative or the point behind it as being liberal, and I just I don't see that. I don't know how it politics plays into this. Hmm. Uh, That's an interesting take, Matt. Uh, Amanda Mall, I only have about a minute left, but but talk about how millennials see politics differently when a message like this comes across. I think that there is a difference there as well. Yes, I think that what I was surprised by when I first saw the ad, and I'm a millennial, I'm, I'm in my early 30s, was that the, the message also, uh, like this caller just said, struck me as really moderate um, and really uh, and sort of not necessarily apolitical, but, mm-hmm. but definitely not intending to, to, be, to create a political ruckus. And when I talked to their North American head of brand after the ad temp came out, and he said the same thing. Um, so I, I think that millennials tend, tend to view this uh, this type of messaging as uh, is, is not necessarily political, as just um, as, as just sort of positive, and uh, I, I think it's older older people, older generations who who tend to react to this to to this sort of messaging as off-puttingly political. Hmm. Um, whereas I, I think that uh, for younger consumers, this this just feels more of like a like a culturally positive message. Right. Right. 
Okay. Amanda Mall, staff writer at The Atlantic. Thanks very much for joining us on Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. That's going to do it for us this week. I will be back on Monday, and I hope you will too. It'll be MLK Day, and we'll have a lot of discussion about MLK and his legacy, and then we'll listen to his I Have a Dream speech that he gave here in Detroit before he gave it in Washington. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. We'll see you on Monday.